The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Who am I? I mean, as a tabletop role player, who actually am I? And more than that, why would anyone be interested in my games? Hi, my name is Che Webster and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost roleplaying hobby. Although I have been gaming for more than 40 years and podcasting for the past two years, in recent months I almost lost my hobby. I know that I'm not alone in this experience because in the weeks since I stopped making new episodes, I've received many emails and social media messages, not to mention audio call-ins, that bear witness to the fact that many people have lost their hobby to the vagaries of modern life. As I begin this fresh season, my eyes are set on a single goal. I want to run games that I feel proud of, that I enjoy, and with people whom I care about deeply. To say that I want to rediscover my love for the tabletop role-playing hobby would not be an overstatement. The thing is that, over the past few years, I've come to realise that the majority of the problems I have faced in my hobby, the failed campaigns, the loss of confidence, and the falling away of countless friends from the groups I've tried to organise, the causes of those problems lie largely inside of myself. That might sound harsh, I suppose, But to my mind, it's time to face some home truths. The decision I am making is to give up the old ways in which I have been doing things. Certainly the intent and goal to run some enjoyable and intense role-playing sessions about which I can feel good on a consistent basis is a worthy one. The journey will not be easy and the path is far from clear, but the aim is true. Today, I want to lay out the beginnings of my way forward and invite you to join me in the quest. This is Season 8, Episode 1, Finding My Own Way. Outside of my relationship with my wife and my relationship with God, the most important relationships in my life have all arisen through gaming. While my career did, for a good 12-year span, divert into working with fellow gamers when I joined the ranks of tabletop wargaming company Games Workshop, the 15 years since have demonstrated that none of the acquaintances I made in that period have survived beyond just that. Acquaintance. Where depth is concerned, my best friendship arose from a mutual love of tabletop role-playing and Christian discipleship. The remainder of those whom I consider to be closest to me are almost exclusively friendships forged through role-play gaming. This is why, as far as I am concerned, role-playing games are the most important creative activity in my life. My gaming 
is beyond mere hobby. Forming small friendships in which fantastic discoveries are made at the table with dice and pencil in hand lies at the heart of what friendship is to me. To be able to break bread is one thing, but to be able to share our imagination in a cooperative experience of play, that, my friends, is sublime. And yet, over the years, I have allowed my enjoyment of this great hobby to become clouded and spoiled by a sense of doubt and confusion. I have wandered far from the paths that once brought me joy and allowed myself to give in to some darker thoughts. Frankly, I've been blind to the fact that my mind works differently to that of many other people. For good or ill, I have picked up some unhelpful beliefs and unhelpful behaviours that recently led to a clinical diagnosis for generalised anxiety disorder, social anxiety and the beginnings of depression. Now, that's not to say that it has all been bad, but for someone like me, someone who doesn't think like others, it has been very easy to lose the path that I wanted to walk. And this, dear friends, is where I'm going to stick my neck out and tell you what I really think. In truth, I am not interested in the seemingly endless debates about gaming mechanisms, nor the classifications of gaming style, nor even the variety of games that exist within the market. Honestly, I am tired of even the marketplace and the clutter. What I am seeking is a rich and diverse experience of role-playing, to join with friends and explore the characters we create and the worlds those characters inhabit. For as long as I can remember, I have yearned towards depth and continuity, and going forward, that is the goal towards which I want to bend my attention. I am not a specialist, not really. Certainly I've managed to find a specialism that looks like it fits me, teaching religious education to teenagers, but in truth, that is about the least specialised teaching specialism out there. My classroom has room for not only religious belief and practice, but also psychology, sociology, the classical sciences, history, geography, literature, linguistics and a host of other facets from human learning because, frankly, what I teach sits at the heart of what it means to be a human being. What we believe is at the heart of who we are and how we behave. I'm not a specialist in gaming either. I play board games, card games, role-playing games, war games, console and computer games, dice games, mind games and probably a whole load of other games too. Certainly the most active area of my gaming revolves around role-playing games, but that's simply because it's one of the areas in my life in which there appears to be no natural limit to my learning. And that's important to know about me. I learn quickly. Whereas I can learn and master the rules of many games in a relatively short period of time, and even grow bored with the most complex of board or war games within a few days or weeks, Role-playing games have been where I have found no natural limit to my experience. Well, at least no limit outside of those imposed by others within any given group. Computer games are limited by the imagination of the programmer. Most card, board or war games are limited by the scope of the game's parameters. With the exception of Go, that most ancient of games, and perhaps chess, there are few other games that I have encountered which offer a lifelong challenge to the inquiring mind. 
Role-playing games, in contrast, stand a whole quantum apart from the rest. Because we are entering into the limitless expanse of the imagination, and not just the imagination of one human being, itself a massively rich and promising universe of ideas, but rather entering into the imaginations of a group of human beings engaged in one creative act of play, role-playing games hold a special place for me. Just consider for a moment the possibilities if we were to break down the artificial limits that we so often place around the role-playing experience. We are entering a realm of fantasy, a world that we are collectively and collaboratively creating out of whole cloth through the interaction of a group of people. If we recognise that the role-playing game is not limited, as are other games, by the conditions of victory that cause an eventual end to play, then we are beginning to see the potential. But that is not all. The next barrier to the infinity of play possible is that of the time invested. Role-playing games are designed to be picked up and put down without leaving a panoply of gaming pieces to get nudged or lost because the action exists in the collective imagination of the group. Thus, time is no barrier unless we ourselves place barriers upon that time. No, given the conditions of an imaginative group who are committed to the ongoing game, a role-playing experience has no theoretical end. Even if players come and go, which is inevitable given the mortal and fickle nature of human beings, the game can continue. It is passed on into the conscious minds of the new player who, in turn, will pass it on once more. The legends of sessions past and the accumulated lore of the worlds imagined growing to become something much greater than any human individual. The role-playing game is truly an infinite game on a par with the ultimate experience that we all share in, that of life itself. To my mind, role-playing games can offer an alternative experience to the reality of the day-to-day, because the human mind is incapable of experiencing anything, objectively real or imagined, as being anything but real in the moment. In the moment of play, we truly become our characters and our imagined experience can transcend that of the external moment. As the ancient philosophers will tell you, the internal world of our minds is ever more real and powerful than the external illusions of the so-called real world. But perhaps I digress. My point is simple. Role-playing games are limited only by the limits we ourselves place upon the system. It is us who choose to play this or that set of mechanistic rules. It is us who choose to limit the number of sessions to few or even just one. It is we who say that role-playing games are only about this or that. The truth is that role-playing games are free of game boards and pieces, free of the boundaries of other games. They can go on for as long as we collectively choose and they can delve as deep as we agree to explore in the worlds we imagine together. And that is the first truth that I allowed myself to forget in the past few years. I am not a specialist. I am not bound by one set of game rules. I am not bound even by one world or one group of players. Instead of seeing my games as distinct experiences bound by rules or setting or session length, I invite myself to see gaming as bound in the same way that my classroom experience is in fact experienced. A group of people engaged in a mutually satisfying exchange of learning. This is, for me, a far better model for the role-playing game than any other.
When we gather to play, we gather to learn, to exchange imaginative capital and discover together where this particular instance of play will take us. Through the magic of dialogue, we watch the characters emerge into situations and make choices. Exploring the consequences, positive or otherwise, of those choices, we construct together a narrative from the evolving details. If we allow ourselves to engage emotionally and imaginatively in that emerging narrative, the play becomes a recursive and infinitely expanding experience that only ends when the group disbands. And even then, given the nature of the role-playing game as a verbal and imaginative endeavour, we can reconvene and continue the saga indefinitely. This is the gaming experience that entrances me. I can dance from situation to situation within the game, enjoying the choices I make as a player as much as I enjoy the actions taken by others. The collective whole emerges into a narrative we agree together. We choose the next goal for play and we pursue it until we change our minds. Like life itself, we can dodge and weave inside the imaginary whole until we ourselves leave this world. And even then, potentially, the game can continue even without us. To me, the highest achievement in gaming would be to leave behind a role-playing campaign that never ends just because we ourselves have in fact ended. But of course, this probably sounds too grand for most of us, too wild an expanse to explore, and so we choose to play for a few sessions using these or those rules in a tiny and temporary imagined world which we hold loosely for we know we don't intend to give it any real life. It's just another throwaway pastime. It's just another quick indulgence in the possibilities to which none of us is truly prepared to commit. For me, commitment is the biggest barrier to play. I actually fear making a choice because such commitments are antithetical to the way in which I have for so long chosen to think about and experience life. Growing up, I loved learning. If it wasn't for the sequence of bullies in my school years, I would have enjoyed school. But of course, those people who see another person who learns quicker than them, they feel threatened. And so, I was bullied. As an adult, I still love learning. But I also recognise that the world around me is not very well geared to handling the kind of learner who doesn't want to be a specialist think about it. The minute you get around year nine in school, and I'm speaking about the UK education system here, so year nine is around 13 to 14 years of age, that's when the adults around you ask you to deselect a whole bunch of subjects and choose just a handful to sit alongside maths, English and the sciences. By the time you reach year 12, which is about 16 to 17 years of age, you are asked to limit the choices to just three or four. Two years later, if you enter university, you reduce it to one specialism. In short, we drive people into specialism, and that seems to suit the majority. For the likes of me, this was awful. At age 18, I was faced with that awful conundrum. What career do you want to pursue? As if the default assumption about life is that you get to pick one, and that's it. 30 years later, I see that this is a lie. You don't have to pick one thing and do it for life. In fact, given the way in which the globalised economic system changes faster than humans can live a lifetime, the truth is that people increasingly change career many times throughout their time in work. 
that we still train kids to enter that paradigm of commitment to just one career. But that's another podcast. My point is that commitment to just one activity doesn't fit my brain. If life is a giant buffet, I am the kind of person who wants to taste a little of an awful lot of things on the table. Along the way, I will gorge myself on the cakes and the lasagna, but I never want to just have one ever-full dish of just one flavour. And in case you're thinking that surely everyone is like this, no, I don't believe they are. The range of choices that most people operate within is markedly limited. The same activities day after day, the same meals on the menu, travelling the same optimal route to work, whatever. Because the human brain is remarkably good, at forming habits. Some of us, though, function differently. We are hungry for more, when we are hungry for a wider range of interests. We're the ones who get labelled by the majority. Jack of all trades, master of none, flaky and unreliable, flighty and moody, indecisive and weak. We are, of course, none of those things at heart. I have a wonderful problem. I don't think like most people do. I don't experience the world in the way that the majority of folk around me seem to. For me, there is a wonderful variety and rich panoply of opportunities and interests that draw my attention with remarkable regularity. In short, I am forever scanning the horizon, looking around me, absorbing everything that I experience and feeling myself both drawn towards and distracted by variety. The late Barbara Scher coined a slightly hokey name for people like me, and I rather like it. She called us Scanners. Although she died only a few weeks ago, her legacy has been to give me back the keys to my life and the richness that I had forgotten can be experienced when you are made like me. Quote, Unlike those people who seem to find and be satisfied with one area of interest, you're genetically wired to be interested in many things. You are the owner of a remarkable, multi-talented brain trying to do its work in a world that doesn't understand who you are and doesn't know why you behave as you do, end quote. And for that reason, I need to do things in a different way. I'm never going to commit to just one game, just one world, just one group of people. I am hungry for the full range of experience. Like the bee that floats from flower to flower, taking what it needs, sometimes spending mere seconds to absorb the nectar, and other times spending minutes at a time. I am a human being who moves from interest to interest, sometimes needing mere minutes to get what I came for, and other times needing years. It's not a regular and predictable pattern because, like discovering how much nectar is stored in the flower, I can never know for sure how much learning is offered in the thing I've taken interest in. What I can say for sure, however, is that role-playing games have collectively held my attention over 40 years, and it's not simply down to the proliferation of books published in the name of that niche. No, role-playing games hold an opportunity for depth and deeply rewarding experience, but to access it, I've realised that I need to clear out an awful lot of rubbish that is in my way. To make my own way forward, I need to recognise three things. One, the rules are not the game, and the rules do not limit the possibilities of the game. In short, the rules need to be subject to the goals the players have agreed to pursue with the game in play. Two, 
The world deserves to be explored and discovered. There are limitless vistas of imaginative canvas to fill and we should allow ourselves the freedom to go paint on it, together. 3. The characters, all of them, both player-controlled and otherwise, are the vehicle within which we get to imaginatively explore the world we are creating. Therefore, we should make sure we are creating characters worthy of our goals. Thus, the endless debates about this or that game system are, at least to me, meaningless. Just pick one you like and play with it. Adapt it as necessary, or don't. Choose another if it fits the goals you have for the game you are running. As long as you and your fellow players are enjoying the goals to which you are working at the table, you are doing it right. Ignore the baying of the naysayers outside your door. Whether you are intrigued by the world described, at least in part, by another creative mind, or if instead you prefer to collectively create your own, the world you are playing in is the most promising place to go imagining. Just make sure that as a group you are playing in a world that interests everyone. Remember, you, as a group, as a collective of players, decide the canon of the world in which you play, nobody else. If your world is interesting to you, have it your way. My world may vary. Through it all, the characters we create are the avatars of our imagination within the shared experience of play. Whether we all choose to play delvers after treasure in an endless dungeon under the earth, or whether we choose to chase bounties across a vast stellar empire, or even if we choose to investigate cosmic forces infiltrating some distant era of history, those are our choices that we make together. These characters are yours to choose whether you are running the game with a traditional separation between players and a game master or not. If those are the eyes, hands and voices you choose to bring to your collective fantasy, have at it. The rest is clutter. The rest is excess to my requirements. Give me a group of good fellow travellers and a willingness to play and I will give you a good session and another and another and another. The biggest barrier is the quality of those fellow travellers. The requirement is a mind open to the possibilities and willing to come on the journey. Ultimately, the hope is that each fellow traveller becomes a friend and a deeply appreciated human partner in the collective endeavour to imagine. That is how I intend to forge my way forward, into worlds with characters who make meaningful choices and discover something new in every session. The rules are my toolbox, but... The heart of all good role-playing is beating within the people at my table. If you think you might be interested in seeing where this imaginative road might lead, come join us in the quest. Game on. Hey, Kay, Jason here. Just listened to Roleplay Rescue 719. Your interview with part one with Griff on Tunisburg. Great interview. I think he has some really important things to say there about when to roll dice, you know, about how to run dungeons, immersive play, you know, it all plays into a lot of themes you've been talking about lately as well. I was fortunate enough to play in that game he talked about that he ran for Dave Aldridge and us. And it was a lot of fun, you know, and the, and the biggest thing comes away from that for me is his damn style was, you know, don't say what you're going to do, describe what you're doing. So it's not, you know, I search for traps. It's I feel along the walls and try to dig my fingernails into the crevices and pull on things. So you don't say what you're doing. You say how you're doing it. 
And I think that was a huge takeaway I took from his DM style. Take care. Thank you, Jason, for calling in. It's great, great to hear from you. And, of course, Season 8 had to have the first call-in from Jason. Man, it's great. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, the big takeaway from Griff, I, I felt that was well as uh, as you did. You know, this sense of talk about how. You know, I, I just think that's really, really important in gaming. And um, it's something that will be coming back later in this season as um, something I want to talk about. You know, the, the how of playing. So thank you for bringing that straight to our attention. And guys, uh, just so you know, I do have the second part of the Griff's interview. We talked about good and evil. And I, I've got to be honest, we went deep, philosophical, and uh, it's long. It's going to be a bonus episode in season eight as soon as I get around to editing it. So yeah. Thanks, Jason. Hey, look. It's my best buddy in all the world. It's Derek giving us a call. What you got to say, Derek? Hi, Jay. It's Derek McLean again. I'm just sitting in the car having listened to the end of um, Season 6, Episode 2. Why do we play what we play in your response and discussion of GNS? And uh, I'm just thinking I find it really difficult to want to make such a strong distinction between all three types of play. I'll go with calling it three types of play, but uh, I guess really I'm coming from thinking through that whole concept of sub-creation that was Tolkien's primary driving point. That if you have a world in which you are working and the world that you're developing and creating, then the more consistent the world is, the better. And for me, the systems that we use are about helping me to be involved and immersed in that world, to go back to your issue of immersion. And um, I think I'm sort of wittering here, but I'm trying to get my thoughts straight as I respond to you. If I understood what you said correctly, I actually don't have a problem with any of the three styles. If we need to be concrete with miniatures, well, that's fine, but obviously... At this time in the world, with everybody isolated again, we're not really able to be around a table and use miniatures. So I guess the theatre of the mind and the narrative and uh, simulationists are coming out strongest in any gaming that we have. Uh, For me, the narrative is I have a story. This story means that I'm going off to location X. I journey to location X, resolve what is going on at location X and come back. That may have been that I was exploring a particular reason why uh, crops are dying in a village or if that is the cave where the sorcerer is hiding, but that's neither here nor there. Even if the narrative is only the mission to get me from my headquarters where I've been detailed by the boss to go on the spy mission to sort out the uber baddies' latest plot, that's all narrative. It all feeds into the story, and it might be good over evil, or it might be neutral. But as for the simulationist, yeah, if we need to get deeper into um, the actual nitty-gritty of the tech, then so be it. But sometimes it isn't necessary. It's just part and parcel of being there. I do love the idea of uh, contributing and explaining the uh, not always aware that that's what we're doing at the table, so I sometimes have to think on the fly. But, uh, yeah, I think in my simple way, I'm just saying it's sub-creation for me. 
how do we get to the table, what are we doing when we're there, and um, the exploration of the scenario. I don't really see how we separate all three out at any one time, but we don't necessarily do all three in one session. I don't know, it's probably me rambling. Love that episode, really thought-provoking, and it's got me thinking more about what sub-creation is at the role-playing table. Take care, mate, and keep doing this stuff. It's wonderful. Bye. Hey, Derek. Glad you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for calling in. It's great to have you call in. I really, really do appreciate everyone who calls in, but especially my best buddy. And yeah, you probably didn't fully understand GNS. Um, I'm not sure I do, really, to be honest with you, and that's fine. I think Ron Edwards's kind of argument is that there is a goal in our gaming and actually within each scene, each instance of play, each kind of moment even, there's potentially a different goal. And is that goal something driven by uh, the game and, you know, the kind of rules of the game? Or is it something driven by the world and something that we're trying to explore within the world in terms of uh, simulation? Or is it actually the needs of the story? It sounds to me like you're a big story-focused guy. I know that is uh, going to be close to your heart. But you know what? All of that aside, I just think it's great that you are thinking about sub-creation. I'm thinking about secondary worlds, and I'm thinking about what I'm doing at the table. And you know what? As I said earlier in this episode, I kind of don't really give a damn exactly how we're going to like cut that up and describe it. The important thing is that we're thinking about it. And so thanks for calling in and reminding me that actually... This is a lot simpler than we think it is, right? Anyway, man, you be well, you keep safe, game on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. It's great to be back and welcome to Season 8. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue and tap on the messages button to leave yours. Alternatively, you could record your thoughts on your phone and email the sound file to me directly via hello at rpgrescue.com. And that, as they say, is a wrap. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.